Good morning, everyone, and thank you, David. Uh, last, last Sunday, we were thinking about our shape uh, and how we've been shaped to serve. Uh, S-H-A-P-E, let's get a bit of congregational participation. Can anyone remember what the S stood for? Spiritual gifts, what the H stood for? Heart, what the A stood for? Abilities, what the P stood for? Personality, and the E Experience, thank you for that encouragement. Uh, but that was last week. We were thinking about how each of us have been shaped to serve. Uh, uh, today, we're back to thinking about what we're wearing, our clothing. And as we pick up from where we left off two weeks ago now, we're, we're going to consider what we might need to take off and what we might need to put on to make sure that we're properly dressed. And, and this morning, we are going to get quite specific. If you have a Bible with you, can I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. For anyone who is visiting or you're new to Windsor, we as a church have been reading this New Testament letter together on Sunday morning since uh, the start of April. And we've got to the point of, of beginning to kind of drill down into exactly what it means and what it looks like to live a genuine Christian life what it means and what it looks like to live a life worthy of our calling, as Paul urges the saints in Ephesus and us in Belfast to do in the opening verse of this chapter. Paul has spent the first half of Ephesians from chapters 1 through to chapter 3 clarifying Christian identity, our true identity. Here's the list. Many of you are familiar with this. It's a breathtaking list confirming who we are as Christians, our new identity in Christ, here is a great list. And I know many of you have been asking me, for the, have I any of those wee cards left? I don't, I'm sorry. And with Mark out of commission for a while, we'll not get more of them. But if you do want this card with this, this list on it, please do speak to me afterwards and I'll make sure I'll get one to you as soon as possible. But as Paul begins the second half of this letter, from chapter four, here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, in light of who you are, in light of the fact that you are now saints, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are alive, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are secure, you are sealed, and on and on it goes. In light of that, I want you to live accordingly. I want you to walk this new identity in Christ out in your everyday lives and your relationships. And rather than leave anyone guessing or having to figure it out, he goes on to explain what that means, what that looks like. And a fortnight ago, based on Ephesians 4.17, we discovered that a key aspect of living this life, this life that's worthy of our calling, means we must choose to be distinctly different or to be distinctively different from those around us. There's got to be a marked difference in the life of a Christian. We simply can't just blend in like chameleons. There's got to be a difference in how we do life, how we relate and this is where the kind of getting dressed and undressed imagery comes in. 
and we're paying attention to what we're wearing on a daily basis becomes important. And so Paul says this, put off your old self. Take it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, and then put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then two weeks ago, we reflected a little on what those verses meant. But, but here's the thing. Here's the question. It's a good question. What does putting off the old self and putting on the new actually involve? What does it actually mean? Can we be more specific, Paul? Well, the answer is yes. And this is what I love about these chapters in the second half of this letter. They are so profoundly practical. Because you see, if you want to know what it looks like to live a distinctly and a distinctively different Christian life, if you're unsure about what items of clothing you might need to take off and which ones you might need to wear a lot more, Paul tells you. And so we're not left staring at a wardrobe, scratching our heads, wondering what to wear. It's all here. It's all laid out in graphic detail. And so, will you please stand with me for the public reading of God's stylistic word. It'll be on the screen, but this is Ephesians 4. It's starting at verse 25, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. Therefore, so again, we're back to this whole idea. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind. Be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Grab a seat. In those verses, Paul draws attention to five examples, five concrete examples of what you need to take off and what you need to put on in order to display a distinctly different Christian life. And these examples that he uses, these five examples, they touch on our words, they touch on our attitudes, they touch on our actions. This is about what we say, this is about what we think, this is about what we do. But before we look at each in turn, and I do want to take the time this morning, I do want to take the time to do that, I don't want to rush this because this is a stunning explanation of what it means to live a life worthy of your calling. This is what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes we confuse it. Sometimes we complicate this. 
this is what it means. This is what it looks like. This is what it involves. But before we consider each example, I want you to notice a couple of things that are common to all five of them. If you have a Bible in front of you, it's going to be really handy. But there are two things that are common to all five examples. The first is this. They all concern our relationships. Each example that Paul refers to affects how we do life with others, how we relate, how we get on, how we connect. Christianity, you see, is not about me and God. It's not just about me and God. It's also about me and you. As John Stott helpfully comments, he says, Holiness is not a mystical condition experienced in relation to God, but in isolation from human beings. No, it's not. He's right. You cannot be a Christian in a vacuum, only in the real world of people. Be great if it was just me and God. But it's me and you. And so what Paul does, everything he says, everything that you should be wearing, everything you shouldn't be wearing, it impacts your relationships with one another. And as we work our way through them, this will become obvious. The second common feature, so the first is they all concern relationships. The second common feature is that there's a pattern and there's a rhythm. In each example, Paul begins by identifying a negative. Here he says, here's something you need to take off. Then he follows that up with a positive. Here's something you need to put on. And then he follows that up by giving you a reason for doing it. Or to put it simply, negative, positive, motive. Negative, positive, motive. And so with those two things in mind, relationships and rhythm, let's take each in turn. Although, before we do that, let me restate something I said a couple of weeks ago. This, this taking certain things off and putting other things on is not a one-off experience. It's not a one-off practice. You have got to be doing this on an ongoing basis. It's exactly like what Jesus said in terms of following him. What did Jesus say when it comes to following him? Take up your cross daily. You don't just do it once. You do it every single day. You see, discipleship and holiness is a process. And so this morning, some of us might need to admit that during this past week or these past 24 hours, we have put on some of what we are about to look at and therefore we desperately need to take it off before we walk out those doors this morning. And therefore, at the end of this service, there is going to be space for response. There is going to be an opportunity just during a couple of songs for you to take off and put on as you feel is necessary in order for you to live this life that you have been called to live. So let's take each and turn. There are five of them. You okay? Turn around to the person beside you and just say hello if you haven't done that already this morning. Right, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Okay, here we go. So five examples, five concrete examples. And as I say, if you have a copy of God's word in front, it's gonna be great if you can do it. But let's look at the first one. So the first one is this, verse 25. What is it that needs to come off? Falsehood. What is it that needs to go on speaking truthfully to your neighbor? Why should you do this? Because we're all members of the one body. What is the negative? Lying. What is the positive? Honesty. What is the motive? unity. You see, Paul starts with a key aspect of our speech, and he makes it really clear that Christians have got to be people who speak and tell the truth. 
They just have to be. Lying and all forms of it. So exaggeration, making stuff up, denial, embellishment. See, oh, let me be honest. This past week as I've been preparing for this, caught in a moment. So walking through Belfast, guy says to me, have you any loose chains? I say, sorry, mate, I don't walk on. I did. I did. Denial. It's a form of lying. And at that moment, I was, I was so brought up short. If you take it off, you're going to live this life worthy of your calling. You can't stand up and speak on this stuff and then just walk out something different. When we exaggerate, when we twist the truth, when we embellish, when we distort the facts, all of those things need to be taken off, says Paul. Why? Because lying wrecks relationships. Honesty builds trust. And in a community, any community, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, whether it's a local neighborhood, telling lies undermines and destroys friendships, confidence, and connections. And when people don't trust what someone says, there is inevitably suspicion and dysfunction. And so Paul says, see to live the life. You who are now saints, quit lying. Take it off. Put on truth. Because unity matters. The second area, the second example is in verses 26 to 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul moves from speech or one aspect of our speech to an attitude, one attitude. And those of you who know God's word will know the reason that the first little part of that verse is in quotes is because it's a direct quote from Psalm 4. Where David says, in your anger, do not sin. And then he goes on to say, when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And the writer of that psalm, David, is in distress and he cries out to God and he realizes, you know something, I've got to leave my problem with God. I've got to hand it over and then I've got to shut up. But when it leads to negative words and actions, then there is something that you need to take off and you need to take it off quickly before the sun goes down. Otherwise, it's going to fester. You see, anger that is nursed and then spills out in harsh treatment of others just cannot be part of a truly Christian life. You see, whenever our anger causes us to lash out in words or in our limbs, we need to get changed. We need to step inside God's cosmic changing room and we need to get changed and changed quickly. And the motive here, the reason here for sorting out your dress code is explicit. Do not give the devil a foothold. You see, the enemy loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to exploit their short fuses. An anger that is nursed overnight and over time, it doesn't just simmer, it also gives the enemy a chance to wreak havoc in your life. But what's the positive? Okay, the, the negative, I get it, but what is the positive? And it, it's not as obvious in this verse or in these verses. Well, one of the things you discover here is that there appears to be an appropriate anger. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Or to put it another way, be angry, but do not sin. So how does that work? Patient again, what are the two types of anger that there are in Scripture? Righteous anger and unrighteous anger, yeah? 
One is God-like, one is Jesus-like, the other isn't. Anger about injustice. Anger about human trafficking. Anger whenever God and his ways and his truth is and are treated with ridicule and contempt. Anger at the impact of evil on our lives, on our communities, on creation that motivates us to do something, to speak up, to roll up our sleeves. That is something we need to put on. That is something we do need to wear, we do need to exhibit. John Stott again in his commentary on these verses writes this. There must therefore be a good and a true anger which God's people can learn from him. I go further and say that there is a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. So what is the negative? What is the thing that we need to take off? The thing we need to take off is uncontrolled anger that is left to fester that causes hurt to others. What is the positive we need to put on? Righteous anger that gets involved in God's world for good. And what is the motive? So that you do not give the enemy a foothold in your life. If you have lashed out in anger this week, in an angry word, a comment, or even lashed out physically in anger. Can I encourage you? Can I urge you? Can I plead with you? Take time this morning to bring that before God. and Take it off. And Paul then, money or possessions, although we can broaden this out to include tax evasion, customs dodging, false insurance and benefits claims, suspect expenses, submissions, etc., etc. They're, they're all forms of stealing. And all that kind of thing, wherever we stick the arm in, wherever we take advantage of others or we rip the system off, Paul says, listen, you've got to take that. If this is who you are and if you're a saint, if you're adopted, if you're chosen, if this is your new identity in Christ, you cannot do that stuff. It's just a contradiction of who you now are. So take it off. And what's the positive? What do we put on? Paul says, work. Just good, honest work. And what is the motive for this? So that you can share with us. You see, for a true Christian, stealing, which takes from others to give to yourself, has got to be replaced by honest work, which takes from self to give to others. Take it off. Put it on. Be generous. Paul then goes back to speech. We're on to the fourth one. Still with me, okay? No, okay. Paul then, this is the fourth one, but Paul goes back to speech. So he's done speech, he's done an attitude, he's done an action, and now he goes back to speech. And I think the reason that he goes back to speech is because what we say and how we say it is so fundamentally important. Because what is it that Jesus said? That it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what we say and how we say things is so important. And in verse 29, the negative the thing we need to take off is unwholesome talk. Now, what does this mean literally? Literally what it is, it's that no rotten words should come out of your mouth. No gossip. No slanderous comments. No harsh criticism. No derogatory remarks. You've got to take it off. If you've spoken behind someone's back, if you've voiced off about someone, if you've run someone down this week, says Paul, take it off. 
Instead, and, and here's the positive, here's what you've got to wear. Paul says, listen, if you're going to say anything, only say what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. So instead of the disparaging, unedifying, negative comments, tell you what to do. Why not encourage? Why not empower? Why not comfort others via your words? And in terms of motive, what is your reason for doing this? So that those who hear you speak, rather than be offended, rather than be demoralized, rather than be hurt, rather than be confused, they will instead be blessed by what you say. Has everything I have said this week built others up? I'm talking in terms of when I talk about other people. And at this point, and I find this fascinating, before he moves on to his fifth example, he appears to add yet another motive. And it's in verse 30. Here's another reason why you should take off on wholesome talk. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Is that one other? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See if we go back to this list again. One of them says, I don't know how far it's down there because with these glasses on, that's a blur. Don't know how far it's down there, but down there is I am sealed. And for those who have been following this series, you'll know that comes from the first chapter, from the 13th and 14th verse, whenever Paul says, listen, see whenever you believed. See whenever you started to follow Jesus. You were marked in him with a seal. And what was that seal? You were marked in him with the promised Holy Spirit. So right at the beginning of your Christian life, you receive the Holy Spirit of God as confirmation that you belong to God. God's seal, the Spirit of God, is now stamped all over your life. So he indwells every single Christian that's sitting in this room. He empowers you. He enables you. He comforts you. He guides you. He teaches you. He gifts you. He produces fruit in your life. But you know something? He can be grieved. He can be deeply, deeply hurt because he's a sensitive spirit. And it seems that whenever we share gossip, whenever we run someone else down, whenever we talk about people behind their backs, the Holy Spirit is reduced tears doesn't just affect me and my heart doesn't just run that other person down who's no clue that I'm talking about them but far more importantly for those of us who claim to live in God who must walk as Christ walked far more important is the fact that the Holy Spirit cries is grieved is deeply hurt. And there's more to this at this point. Because although Paul seems to be just saying this in terms of unwholesome talk, the reality is, according to most commentators, that this grieving the Spirit at this point applies to everything else he's mentioned. So whenever I exaggerate, whenever I deny that of any small, short change in my pocket, I grieve the Spirit of Whenever I take something that doesn't belong to me, whenever I lash out in angry words or actions, the Spirit doesn't just walk out on us when we sin. I know that. But he does grieve when we do. And so Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. And one massive component of what it means to live a life worthy of your calling is not to grieve 
the Holy Spirit. And so if I've said, if you have said or done something this week that has reduced the Holy Spirit to tears, can I urge you, can I encourage you, if you're serious about this, take it off before you walk out this door, these doors this morning. And then the final one, the fifth example. Verses 31, 32, where Paul actually tells us to get rid of a list of six things. <laughs> six unpleasant attitudes and actions, which yes, they seem to overlap a little of what he's been saying, but he takes it further. And so he writes, every form of bitterness, every form of rage, every form of anger, every form of yelling, all malicious talk, that has got to be removed from you together with every vice. I mean, there is a catch-all. You see, there is no place for any of that in a Christian life. And those are the negatives that need to be taken off. But what is it that needs to be put on? Well, Paul says, listen, I want you to be, I want you to be kind to each other. I want you to be tender-hearted. I want you to forgive one another. If you're holding a grudge against someone this morning, if you're not letting go, if you're refusing to forgive, if you're simply being unkind to someone, can I please urge you to get properly dressed? And what is the motive here? And, and this is compelling. It should be. It is for me anyway. The motive is just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. The reason I've got to show compassion towards you, even at times I may not want to. The reason I've got to show grace towards you, even at times though I don't want to, is because God has lavished his compassion and grace on me. Lavished it on me. To the point where it cost him everything. And so the model for Christian forgiveness is God's forgiveness. And again, when I withhold it, the Holy Spirit weeps. So as we finish this morning, and I know there's a sense, those of you who know where this goes to in chapter 5, you'll know that Paul isn't finished. And he continues to get specific. And next week we'll maybe talk about sex. But as we get to the end of chapter 4, what I want to ask you this morning is again, please, please, if you are a child of God, a saint, a chosen one, adopted, if you belong, if you're saved, if you're redeemed, if you're forgiven, if you're sealed, if you're God's work of art, can I please ask you this morning to check what you're wearing? Because if we're going to live a truly Christian life worthy of our calling that reflects that ID, how we dress is important. And as I said earlier, the need to take off and put on is not a one-off exercise. It needs to be an ongoing, regular, daily practice. And so I want you to consider before God, not, not before anybody else, before God, I'm not going to ask you to do anything, don't worry, this is just between you and God. Before God, I want you to ask, God, as I look back over the last 24 hours, the past week, is there something here that I need to shed, that I need to take off? Is there something here that I need to put on? And so we're going to sing, speak, O Lord, as I come to you. Now I realize that we normally sing that song before we listen to God's word, but this morning I'd like us to sing it in response to God's word because during this song we will sing these lines, test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Please, God, will you test me this morning?
Will you reveal to me which thoughts, which attitudes, which words, which actions that I need to take off before I walk out of here? And then we're going to sing Search Me, Know Me, a song that's based in Psalm 51, that psalm of confession where we invite God, God, I want you to uncover the things that need to go in my life. So I'm going to invite the guys to come. I'm going to suggest that we remain seated uh, for the first verse of Speak, O Lord, and then we'll stand. But I invite you to use these two songs in these moments to personally just respond to God's word this morning. If I've said anything that's been unhelpful, that has just been of me, then I pray that that will be forgotten. But anything that is truly from God that you and him will deal with this morning before you leave here. Let's remain seated as we sing, Speak, O Lord.